The Inside Story dives deep into the world of whistleblowing, uncovering the untold tales from behind closed doors. Join us as we explore the challenges and impact of speaking up to stop harm. We're here to talk about Protect Today, a charity that offers specialist whistleblowing advice to several thousands of workers a year and provides consultancy and training services for employers with millions of employees in total to improve their whistleblowing arrangements. This work that informs Protect's campaigns for better whistleblowing law and public policy. Put simply, Protect really stands out as a charity for its wide-reaching societal impact and the unique model it operates on. So I'm really thrilled that today I get to interview Guy, the founder of Protect, and two early chief executives of the charity, Francesca and Kathy. Guy, Given your foundational role in establishing Protect, how does it make you feel to see its success and impact in the whistleblowing law landscape today? And are there any key moments or milestones that stand out to you as particularly significant in the organization's journey? Well, I'm quite pleased. Uh, I mean, I'm pleased that uh, the uh, charity has survived uh, 30 years, yeah. In about 1990, so just over 30 years ago, um, there was a very small NGO called Social Audit, and they'd done a, a study on whistleblowing in the NHS. There was some interest in seeing whether something might be done from that study. And Charles Medawar, who ran Social Audit, uh, Maurice Frankel, who ran the Campaign for, for Freedom of Information, and Marlene Winfield, who was a researcher, were looking at what the options were to develop a sort of resource centre for whistleblowing and they asked me to get involved. Probably for about 18 months we went through a range of different options as to what might happen and we ended up thinking that the most realistic or the safest way of trying to address the issue was if it was a legal advice centre and because I was the only lawyer of the four of them I got the short straw. That's very interesting. It sounds like a lot of thought went into how to structure the organisation to best serve whistleblowers in the UK. What were the pivotal reasons for eventually adopting the advice centre model? Well, I mean, back in 1990, I mean, there was, it was a really different world. I mean, the internet didn't exist. There weren't emails. There was no smartphones. There were very, very few uh, NGOs. Charities were not allowed to lobby. And the law and the sort of culture was still very top down. It was like, you know, the people in charge told you, you did what you were told. And this was sort of doubled up with a, in those days, people would have a job for life, really, or many, many people would have a job for life. That was a sort of mentality. So there were many different pressures from societal and cultural and employment pressures were very different than they are today. And with the sort of cases that we anticipated would come, if we weren't operating under some sort of lawyer-client relationship, it was almost inevitable that some employers would threaten to sue us or would sack the employee for disclosing to us. You know, so say we'd not been a legal advising and we'd been Greenpeace, which was one of the few charities that existed then, and an employee went to Greenpeace and said, 
this terrible environmental thing is happening, the employer would have been able to dismiss the employee for going to Greenpeace for giving them the whistleblowing information. So what we were trying to do was fill a hole in that sort of market and provide a safe haven for people who had whistleblowing concerns to get confidential advice and help on how to raise them and how to raise them effectively. Right. That sounds like a really, really difficult environment to found a whistleblowing NGO in, especially because whistleblowing didn't feature in the news as regularly as it does today. So what would you say were some of the biggest challenges you faced um, as the founder and how did you overcome them? The government and sort of the establishment was very hostile to it. And though we had Joseph Browntree Charitable Trust had given us a challenge grant that was over five years and, you know, there wasn't very much money. So I, w- I was very fortunate that some really sort of key people agreed to help me or guide me. And that gave me a lot more confidence in doing it. I mean, I think the challenge itself was an attraction to me. You know, I'd done quite a bit of political campaigning in my previous job. I'd done quite a lot of policy work. I had been a barrister, so I knew a bit about that. And I'd had some whistleblowing experiences when I was younger. So I think all of those things, I suppose they just sort of encouraged me to give it a go. I did think there was a major problem in society, that there was a sort of a a dysfunction between an approach then, which was whistleblowing was a really bad thing, not quite as bad as paedophilia, but towards it. You know, you were disloyal, you were malevolent. You would lose your job justifiably. You were someone who couldn't be trusted. So that was the official sort of mantra on whistleblowing. But then through the late 80s, there'd been a series of disasters. And in the work that I was doing, I was sort of involved in some of the responses to the disasters. And it was very clear that in the disasters, people had known what was going on, but hadn't raised anything. So really, it was trying to get people to recognise that it was dysfunctional to have these two sort of polar positions. And what we wanted to do was to try and change the culture. Undoubtedly, the stigma associated with whistleblowing was, and to some extent remains, a barrier to advancing whistleblowers' rights. Given such negative perceptions, Francesca and Cathy, what drove you both to make the decision to be part of Protect and champion this cause? I can go first on that. I mean, I had worked as a lawyer in um, private practice and frankly couldn't believe my luck to find public concern at work as it was then because it's a real unique and privileged position to be in, to be able to give really robust legal advice to people without any question of being paid, you know, so to give properly free advice on really important and, um, you know, uh, public interest issues. That So to have that, that was a privilege to me. It's a fantastic charity. And Francesca, when presented with the opportunity to join Protect and delve into the complex world of whistleblowing law, what were your initial feelings and motivations? Were you as enthusiastic about this venture? I'd just come back from doing an internship um, in Trinidad working on capital punishment cases, essentially. 
and I'd kind of thrown myself in at the deep end from a human rights perspective and suddenly found myself working with contract killers and serial killers. And I think I just sort of got back to the UK and took a step back and I thought, maybe not criminal law for me. Um, and, but I knew I wanted something in relation to human rights. And I came across this this charity that, you know, it wasn't necessarily high, high profile charity, but it looks so interesting to me that you could be working with people that would have such a unique inside view and were capable of speaking up on all kinds of abuses and wrongdoings, but was so incredibly at risk. And it just seemed to be a very appealing area um, of law to work on, um, where there was so much potential for good, um, but so much at risk for the individual. It's evident that there was a shared sentiment about Protect being a significant and positive force in the realm of whistleblowing law. Reflecting on those initial aspirations you had for its potential impact, have those visions come to fruition? And could you highlight some of the accomplishments that you're most proud of? We created something called the Whistleblowing Commission that that created that was looking to review whistleblowing law from all aspects. And we um, engaged with people from all aspects of society as well to help us to to do a review of whistleblowing law. And whilst there wasn't a kind of huge legal change as a result of that work, we did force the government to do their own review, which felt like they were listening to us as a charity on some level. Ultimately, the change to the law that came out of that process was relatively small in that it was a regulatory um, requirement when, when claims are, are issued. But it did help us to solidify our policy challenges in in relation to the Public Interest Disclosure Act. So that was a a real um, success. Challenge would be that the government didn't listen properly and do a thorough review and look at all the problems with PEDA, perhaps. Francesca? If if it just sort of relating to when I was chief exec, I was um, really delighted when we got the benchmark through, which was about organisational standards in relation to whistleblowing, it was a sort of fruition of uh, bringing a lot of industry players together and, and um, getting a good, quite fa- fairly complex and challenging set of standards agreed by them that they would that could be worked towards to create better whistleblowing arrangements. So I think that was that was that was sort of a, a win in that way. I think one of the biggest challenges we always had was you know when you're working with the individual, and it's it's about helping them let go, I suppose, and that might sometimes have to be when they have been ignored and nothing has been done in relation to the things that they have been raising. Um, And there's a point at which they have to decide, am I going to push this and put myself at risk? Am I going to leave? Or am I just going to have to let this go? And I think those cases were always the most frustrating um, because you recognise the dangers of, of, of not being heard. Guy, Francesca and Cathy, thank you so much for joining us today. For free confidential advice on raising whistleblowing concerns in an employment context, call Protect on 020-3117-2520. You can also head to Protect's website for accessible resources on whistleblowing.